And we're following breaking news in South Philly. The box covering the Christopher Columbus statue at Marconi Plaza has been removed. It just happened in the last hour or so. And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. The official podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com, where you will find nowhere else available reporting on Bucks, Chester, Delaware, and Montgomery County. Much of it done by our intrepid news editor, Linda Stein. Linda, welcome. Thanks, Michael. Uh, keep it down. We got a packed podcast. We cannot, We don't have time to say hello <laughs> to each other. A lot of big news this week, but nothing as shocking as a sight of the statue of Christopher Columbus being I was going to say unveiled Christine Flowers, but I guess the proper phrase is unboxed. Is that right? Unboxed, disinterred <laughs> from his vertical plywood coffin. <laughs> and so I was, so Linda and I wanted to find out from two people who were directly involved in making this happen, how the heck it happened. We've been covering it at Delaware Valley Journal uh, for well years now. Uh, and uh, George Bacchetto is one of the attorneys who's credited with this happening as well. In fact, he, it's his work that brought it to our attention. George, welcome to the podcast as well. Nice to be here. So let's start with uh, Linda for, to set the scene. Then we'll have George say the smart stuff. So, uh, Linda, tell us, tell everyone how Chris ended up in the box in the first place. Well, um, back in the summer of 2020, you'll remember there were the George Floyd riots and um, mobs of um, people, I guess, Antifa sympathizers, maybe, uh, were complaining about the statue of Christopher Columbus and Philadelphia's mayor, Mayor Kenny. Uh, decided to bow to the mob and um, he was possibly going to move it and then he just ended up putting it in a box so nobody could see it anymore and have their tender snowflake feelings be hurt. Uh, we're, we're the journalists, Linda. We, we, we don't use snowflake. So, uh, Christine Flowers, uh, what was your reaction when you heard that they were seriously going to either take the statue down or put it in a box? Well, I'm not a real journalist. I'm a, I'm just a, an Italian woman with a, a big mouth. And so I will um, sort of uh, agree with Linda with respect to the, uh, the triggered snowflake aspect. I, I, I could not believe that a statue that had been relatively unobtrusive for almost 40 years at Marconi Plaza. I say unobtrusive in the, in, in the sense that you would see South Philadelphians walking up and down South Broad Street and not turning to look at this statue. It, was, it wasn't that, you know, uh, it wasn't offensive right. at, all, at all. And so when I found that they wanted to um, erase from the public landscape this horrifically um, offensive, uh, you know, tr triggering, wounding statue because there were a handful of people who felt that it represented the worst of our Western um, history, a, a white man who had allegedly uh, committed a genocide against the indigenous, the Native Americans. I left. I really thought it was a joke. I did not believe that they would actually try and remove the statue. And when they weren't able to remove the statue, and that was because of the great George Baquetto's efforts, they spitefully erected this, what I call the plywood coffin, so that, well, at the very least, 
They couldn't remove the physicality of the statue, right. but they could protect the tender sensibilities of the people around the statue. They wouldn't have to look at it in the face. So yeah, I was so, shocked. So George, when this story first broke and I found out that you were uh, contemplating legal action, I was confused. I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV. I, I'm so much not a lawyer. I've never even been arrested, uh, which most lawyers of course cannot say. And uh, so when I'm trying to figure out what was what was the legal premise of your challenge? Can a city just decide what it wants to throw up or take down whatever it wants? No, it, it cannot. And let me just uh, clear up the contemplated legal action part of it. Uh, it was contemplated for about two minutes. I was <laughs> home watching uh, a baseball game Sunday afternoon in uh, the middle of the summer. And at about four o'clock, I received a telephone call from an insider at City Hall that said the mayor had actually engaged a non-union rigor to remove that statute in the middle of the night in the same fashion that they had removed in the middle of the night, the Frank Rizzo statute from Municipal Plaza. Uh, within 15 minutes, I was on the line with the emergency judge uh, appointed in the Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas seeking an injunction. And we prepared injunction papers, we put the city on notice. And literally by nine o'clock that evening, we had a hearing. And now remember, this is during COVID. Right. We had a hearing over the telephone with a judge who issued an injunction that prevented the mayor from ripping it out. As Christine said, and as Linda said, you know, kind of as a vengeful tactic, they thereafter promptly put the wooden box around it. But at no time ever were they authorized to remove that statute. And to answer your question directly, Michael, this is a historically certified statute. It's not just a work of art in the city of Philadelphia, which by itself carries its own protections. But this is historically certified. So there's a whole new layer or additional layer of protections and uh, guardrail limitations on what the city can do. And of course, they observed none of those formalities. They didn't go through any of the processes that they were supposed to do. And they're essentially just going to rip it out of the ground and, and cancel culture. So that's what the fight, that's how we, the, the, the fight got started. And that's what the character of the fight was right through to a few days ago when they unboxed it. George, um, can you tell us why you cared so much? Well, uh, you know, my view of things is if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. Uh, and I watched assault after assault after assault on some of our most basic fundamental freedoms in this country, freedom of expression, uh, freedom to celebrate your heritage, uh, freedom to uh, uh, make your own decisions about your health care. And uh, when something was presented to me that I thought I could do something about, I was determined to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to be counted. And I'm just not going to sit back and take it. I still not clear on what were the, what, what did the city do that, that was illegal, that could be illegal? What, what did rules and laws did they break or were they trying to break? Well, I'll, I'll, there were many of them, but I'll, I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Uh, before you can remove historically certified artwork, you have to put the public on notice that you intend to do so. 
or that you propose to do so and give the public a 90-day uh, commenting opportunity to weigh in and to have their voice heard. City never did that. I'll give you another example. This statute is 146 years old and it's made of marble. And before you can move a marble statue, the historic commission and the home rule charter specifically require that you have an engineering study done to make sure that you're not going to destroy the statute just in the process of the move. They never did that. Uh, and there were all kinds of other regulations and directives that they just chose to so, ignore uh, that made their actions completely illegal. Didn't you say there were cracks found in it then? We had, we had engaged our engineering and marble expert we had to, uh, uh, the city wouldn't let us examine the statute. We had to file a motion with the court. Court said, no city, you're gonna let Mr. Bichetto's expert examine that statute. My expert went in there and did a 40 page report of extremely precise nature and found that the statute has all kinds of fissures within it. Some of them not clearly visible to the naked eye, but nevertheless exist extant. And the engineers also said that in all likelihood to, to try to move that statute would be to destroy it. It's just that brittle and that frail. If you, if you wanted to move it, what you have to do is you have to rehab it and you have to take care of all those fissures and you have to make sure you secure it and then move it. And of course, the city wasn't contemplating doing any of that. They were just going to rip it out of the ground. Right. I want to ask uh, Christine Flowers and I'll follow up with the same question pretty much for George too. But so Christine, you wrote about the issue. You wrote about it for Delaware Valley Journal, by the way. Thank you very much. What kind of reactions did you get, positive and negative? Well, first, just let me say very, very briefly that um, you know, George is quite humble, um, but we really need to point out how truly important and precedential this is. Not maybe from a legal perspective in the sense that each city, each state, each, uh, each municipality may have different rules and regulations and processes that you need to follow before you deal with public art. That, 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 put that aside. Let's talk about cities who have seen their public art trashed with no, you know, by right. your lead. Buffalo, right. um, you know, it was happening in Buffalo. Uh, Boston, um, they removed the statue of Caesar Rodney from Rodney Square in Wilmington, Delaware. I mean, this was a hero of the American Revolution. They covered over the, um, the mural of Frank Rizzo at the Italian market. There have been, these things have been done over and over and over again in a triggered manner. And I, you know, and I use that advisedly, but what, what George has done and what the, the people who supported him have done is ha they have drawn a line in the sand. And, and psychologically and morally, they have given support to people who don't like to be bullied and don't want to have their heritage simply shunted aside because the, 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 the crusade of the moment demands that. So this is extremely important morally and psychologically, I think. And to your point, Michael, uh, with the reaction that I've gotten, it's mixed. Um, the, the people that I travel with normally, you know, my posse, my tribe, they're very happy about exactly that that fact that we've been able to defend our heritage. Um, on the other side, you have a lot of people who are angry, who still think that Christopher Columbus represents uh, the, the worst of Western civilization. And then you have those in the middle 
who are, are the ones that annoy me the most who say, oh, it's just a statue. We have people dying. We have people uh, hungry and homeless. Why do you care about a piece of metal or a piece of marble? And my point is, well, turn that question around on Mayor Kenny. Why did he care so much about this statue and make it a crusade like a dog with a bone? Right. Why was it so important to him? Well, maybe for the same reasons it was important to us because it represented our heritage. It represented what happened to 12 Italian-Americans who were lynched in New Orleans. That was the genesis, the basis of Columbus's holiday. So the reaction I got has been mixed and I just tune out the haters. So, George, you became the high-profile face of this legal fight. What kind of reactions did you get from the legal community, from neighbors, from the media, et cetera? Well, I was, I was fortunate and benefited by talented journalists and opinion influencers like Christine to not only get the message out about what we were trying to save, but also why it's so important. And, you know, I've gotten mixed reaction, but you know, frankly, the overwhelming reaction I get is supportive and favorable. Um, you know, I've received uh, recently in the last couple of days, a couple of death threats and that type of thing that are online. Uh, but I don't take that too seriously. I think anybody that issues a death threat over something like this probably has something, you know, more right. disturbing going on in their, in their psyche. But, you know, to Christine's point, you know, at one point, the city had 10 lawyers assigned to this case. Wow. They were working it morning, noon, and night. They were spending a fortune. And wow. The question I always ask is, geez, we've got asbestos in our classrooms. We have classrooms that don't have laptops. We have a, we have a public education system, which is failing our youngsters. And they're spending all these hundreds of thousands of dollars fighting over a statue and they put those in the school system, for God's sakes. That's where it's needed. By so, the way, we didn't we didn't spend any money because I did it pro bono. So, yeah. God bless. <laughs> so, guys, why is Christopher Columbus so important? And these naysayers, um, why are they wrong? I defer to Christine on that. She's <laughs> well, he's named Chris. No, um, I, I think it, it's <laughs> what it's he start. did. We have um, a friend of mine, um, Robert Patron, who is um, a local uh, Columbus scholar, has uh, recorded a number of lectures about the history of Christopher Columbus. And just to just to sort of distill it down to to one important essential point. Christopher Columbus, whether he did it on purpose or he simply happened upon the new world, he opened the West. He opened the door to the West. He helped create the United States that we know today that would not have existed had it not been for his travels, his, his, um, his you know, what he brought to the new world. He found a whole other part of this globe. And I think that we can really credit him with the modern Western civilization, modern Western society. And for good or for ill, uh, we are here today because of his efforts and the efforts of um, the Spanish monarchy, you know, Queen Isabella and, uh, and King Ferdinand. 
So I think that that's not discountable. That's not something that you should just shunt aside. This is extremely important. He opened the door. By the way, just to supplement on Robert Patron, to, 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 to understand how he really entered the picture, he's an extraordinarily bright attorney uh, that was working at city council in the city of Philadelphia. And the council engaged him because they were concerned, this is years ago, engaged him to, to do an in-depth study of, give us some sense of what the history of Columbus is all about. And Robert Patron went to all the original materials, all of Christopher Columbus' diary entries, all of the contemporaneous diary entries of sailors that were on the ships and people that helped land in, in some of these indigenous right. areas. And he studied it and he came up with a very authoritative report, which, you know, unfortunately for the naysayers on the internet, completely debunks this idea that he was a mass genocider or enslaver or that type of thing. And, you know, what's unfortunate in all of this is that that kind of serious scholarly research, and there are others that have done it too, but that kind of serious scholarly research gets overlooked in, in the debate. And it's really, you know, kind of one or two sentence uh, Twitter quotes that, you know, somehow exactly. uh, get gain currency. Let's wrap up with one last question for each of you. 100 years from now, will the Columbus statue still stand? <laughs> as long as George is still around. So George, take your vitamins. <laughs> Well, it's my plan to still be around. I'll tell you that. Um, I'll settle for 50 years, Michael. Uh, we, ho we hope this kind of settles the issue. I've got cases in other cities, Michael, in Pittsburgh. Uh, we have one in Chicago. In, in Chicago. We, have a, we have a case and we have one in, in Syracuse. I think the tide is turning. And I, I think the public and the courts are realizing, uh, just as Christine said, you, you, you don't, you, you, you don't erase 500 years of history because of a day or two of protest, you know, and whatever the cause du jour is. Uh, these are heritages. These are histories. Uh, some may like it, some may not. But, you know, aren't they part of the fabric of where we come from and, and who we are? And so George, I, is so, I, George is so right. I'm sorry to interrupt, but as an immigration attorney, this is so essential to who we are as Americans. And this just happens to be an Italian issue for us. But what about Baron von Steubing for the Germans? What about Theodore uh, Kuczko for the, for the Poles? What about the Marquis de Lafayette for the French, for the Irish? Every single ethnicity has a reason to be proud. And, you know, I mean, I think we are the canaries in the coal mine. If we were able to fight for our heritage, I think that gives support to others who are also very proud of their roots and their heritage. Hey, so, what about us rednecks? Where's the statue for the rednecks? I didn't hear any. Where's the Gomer Pyle statue? Come on, you can't leave us out. I love that. Come on. Hey, listen, it's always a delight to, to talk to you, Christine Flowers, but it's even more delightful to read your content and uh, you're late on your deadline. Uh, and George Macchetto, uh, attorney extraordinaire. And by the way, don't let him fool you. He boxes in his spare time. So you got to keep your eye on him at all time. It's not the legal filing. It's the left hook. You got to watch out. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Linda. And thank you, Christine. Always a pleasure. 
Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.